You got a Bible? Say yes. If you forgot your Bible, that's okay. We'll put it on the screen for you. We're going to read out of the book of John, chapter 20, verse 24. This is probably going to be a different for you guys that, um, you know, you're really busy and you make Easter services once a year. This will be a little different message. Um, but it's real critical for the time that we find ourselves in as a nation and as a people. So John chapter 20, verse 24, you got there, I'll read it to you. It says, now Thomas, called Didymus, which means uh, a twin, he was a twin, uh, one of the 12, uh, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Verse 28, Thomas said to them, excuse me, said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I believe this is a critical moment in mining your life to really approach this topic of doubt. Thomas has been labeled Doubting Thomas as one of the apostles after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead and he appears to different ones Thomas misses the moment where he appears to the other 10 disciples. And so we see this engagement where he says, I don't care if y'all say it happened, I won't believe it until I see it. And I'm wondering how many of us are still struggling with doubt in reference to God, his ability to heal us, his ability to do miracles in our life. Is he really real? Because I watched that YouTube video from that guy's super intelligent and he breaks down how the Bible is, is wrong here, here, here. I'm not sure if I really can believe all of that. And we've gone through about a two, three year period now where there's not a whole lot of things we can trust. People don't trust the government. They don't trust law enforcement. They don't trust big tech, big media, big pharma. And that I think has sip, seeped down into our trusting Jesus. I believe that we're probably across this room filled with doubt, just like Thomas was. It may not be in whether or not Jesus is real, but it may be in, can he resurrect my marriage? It may not be that I don't, I believe that he can do this, but I don't really, I'm not sure if he can really get me that job and help me overcome. I, I don't know if I can ever overcome the dyslexia. I'm not sure if he can really fix what I've broken. And friend, I'm here to tell you today, just believe. It's Resurrection Sunday. When we as believers around the nations of the world, we don't celebrate that Jesus died. A lot of religious leaders have died, but only one has resurrected. The greatest miracle in the history of humanity is not blind eyes opening. It's that Jesus rose from the dead. We can put our hope and trust in the God who is not limited by sin, is not controlled by death, but overcame death in the grave because he truly was God. I think about Thomas and I feel like he gets a really bad rap, but I wanna kinda help you and I see through his eyes a little bit for a moment. And if I could back you up just days earlier from this engagement that he had with the other disciples, if I could back you up to the week, the beginning of what we call Passion Week. Jesus has taken these 12 men and he has ministered for the last three years in the surrounding areas of Galilee. They've seen the blind eyes open. They've seen the dead raised. They've walked with him. They've talked with him. They've hung out with him. Every evening they camped out somewhere. They were with Jesus day in and day out. And the ideology that most Jewish believers in God had at the time was that God was going to send his Messiah. His Messiah would come and he would destroy all of the wicked controlling powers 
on the earth. And for Jews at this time, that was the Roman government. For the Roman government had overtaxed them, had conquered them, had treated them as if they were like slave labor for them. They treat, they, of course, they gave them some dignity, but not all dignity. They didn't have the same rights as a true Roman citizen, if you will. And so in the Jewish mind, the evil oppression was the Roman government. And so in their ideology, the Messiah would come and he would destroy the Roman government. So these 12 men have joined Jesus' team because they have a hope that he's the Messiah. And in their hope of him being the Messiah, guess what they're believing for themselves? They're going to get to reign with him. They're going to get to rule with him. He's going to need a cabinet. He's going to need a vice president. He's going to need a COO. He's going to need a CFO. And they have been jockeying for these positions for the last three years. And then the day comes where he says, let's go to Jerusalem. That in and of itself would have been the great march into the city to take over, to establish your dominance as the Messiah, to be the Lord of the earth. That was the plan. And as they begin to come in, at least that was their ideology. Jesus comes in on a donkey. Why did he go get, why did he not go get a big stallion? That's okay. All right, that's all right. And as he comes into the city on Sunday, a week before the resurrection, as he comes in on the donkey, the people are ready for him to be the Messiah too. And so they start taking off their outer clothes, laying them on the ground. They're cutting palm branches, laying them on the ground. And as he comes in, they, the people of the city begin to yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. God has come to earth to destroy our enemies. And Jesus comes in. Can you imagine being Thomas or Peter or James? They're like, yeah, what's up? All right, all right, all right. I'll remember you. Yes, sir. Okay, all right. Yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Can you imagine the hype of the moment? It's happening. He's coming to set up his kingdom, and he's got to set it up from Jerusalem. He's about to destroy all the enemies, and they had seen all the miracles he could do. They were ready, and they come in. He comes in on this donkey. Everyone's screaming and yelling, and they get to the end of the path, and mm, okay. Jesus doesn't rise up. He didn't call for the angels. The heavens don't rip open. God doesn't say, this is my son. I now enthrone him in glory. And all the Romans drop down dead. Doesn't happen. Then that night, they go back to Bethany. They leave Jerusalem. They go camp out in a little town outside of, Beth, uh, of Jerusalem. Like, well, I guess maybe he's gonna do something the next day. The next day on Tuesday, he comes back into Jerusalem. This, town, this time he goes over to the temple. And because there's this great festival happening, this great Passover feast, this big, this big moment, people are coming in from all parts of the nation. And here they are again at the temple. He's already done this once. He does it a second time. And they're exchanging money. And what they're doing is they're taking, you know, you're a Christian who, who lives, you know, in, in China. And so they're taking your yen and they're converting it into dollars so that you can buy things at the temple in the Holy Land, if you will. And in that exchange, they're overcharging them. They're overcharging a percentage rate. And Jesus comes in and he sees all this again and he loses his mind. He starts throwing over all the tables. Get out of here. And, he's, and, and he begins to declare, for my father's house will be a house of prayer. The moment he does this, he sets off all the Jewish leaders because they have been making a little cut from this little manipulation game that's been happening. And still today we see how ministries and churches are misappropriating the money of the people. Jesus brings correction to that. So can you imagine being Thomas like, here he goes, boy, what? He's about to bring it. He's about to bring it. He don't even need our help. We're just going to stand here and watch as he calls down fire on all the dead religion. We're tired of the controlling church and the condemning church. He go, he, okay, so I guess he's not going to start with the Romans. He's going to start with the church. He's going to clean it up. Wapow! None of that happens. Womp, womp. So they go back to Bethany that night. Then the next day, Tuesday, he gets up bright and early. They're like, this is it. He goes into Jerusalem, camps out on the Mount of Olives, and just begins teaching. Well, the Jewish leaders are ticked off because of what he did the day before. He cut into their money, and now they're ready to have him killed. So, But to get him killed, they got to find something that he says or does to be able to bring accusation against him. So they go and they camp out there all in the crowd as he's teaching, and he's teaching in parables. Parables, he's telling stories so they can't really, like, did he really, say, what's he really trying to say in this? He's working them, man, he's working them. 
And they're trying to catch him. They can't catch him. He's defining things. He's communicating that one day, he said in three days, that the temple will be destroyed and it rose again. That guy, he's talking about himself and back, and he's pointing towards Herod's temple. He's doing all these things back and forth, teaching the people. End of the day, back to Bethany. Womp, womp. I thought he's going to set up. I, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. All I know is it's got to happen soon. We're getting old. This thing's got to happen. Then into Wednesday, and he doesn't even go into Jerusalem. They just kind of, most Bible scholars just call that, that day a day of rest. Nothing happened. There's nothing in the Bible that's recorded. And then Thursday, they come back into Jerusalem, and they prepare for the Sabbath meal, for the Passover meal. Jesus sends a couple of guys ahead of time. They get the room all set up. They get it all. And they're thinking, all right, maybe this is it. Maybe he has to have his inauguration moment. He's got to have this time with us and really kind of give us instruction. One last debrief, and then he's going to reign and rule. He's going to rock it. He's going to bring down fire. It's going to be awesome. They get around this table. And again, they're arguing back and forth who's going to be what position. And Jesus takes the towel, the bucket of water, and begins to wash their feet. And they're losing their mind because kings do not bow low. Kings do not humble themselves. Someone else carries their briefcase. Someone else hands them water. Someone else opens the door for them. Rulers do not stoop to that level. Jesus is washing their feet. He gets to Peter. He's, Peter's like, How, don't, what are you doing? How are you going to be king if you're doing this? You cannot want, no, sir, I won't let you. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Ooh, wash my head, wash my arms, because I'm in. I didn't give a, I, I've given up everything. I'm with you. I'm in. And then he says, one of you are going to betray me tonight. Jesus, Judas gets up and leaves. Jesus then takes the remaining 10 into the garden, pray to seek God. I want you to picture this through Thomas's eyes, so not through us 2,000 years later who know the whole storyline. Thomas has no idea what's happening here. He, his, what he thought was going to happen is not happening. What his expectations were, they're, 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 this doesn't look right. It's not acting. This is, this is weird. I don't know what to do here. But he's following along, following along. And then somewhere in that night time, all of a sudden, they're passing out, trying to stay awake. Jesus is over there praying, talking to God, and back and forth to the Father, back and forth. When all of a sudden, through the night, here come these soldiers led out by Judas. They've, they've, got, their, they've got their swords drawn. They have come for a battle. And all of a sudden, Peter rises up. All right, this is the moment. He's got his little, his little you know, steak knife in his hand, you know. And Jesus meets the crowd of, of, of soldiers led by Judas. Judas gives him the kiss on the cheek. Jesus says, basically, do what you got to do, baby boy. Let's go. And then they go to take him. And Peter reaches out his little steak knife, tries to kill the guy in front of him. The guy ducks a little bit, cuts his ear off. Jesus, stop it! Takes his ear, put it back on the dude. like, ah! Cool. And, the, and, and Peter... Peter broke, no, that's not how we're doing this. What do you mean this is not how we're doing this? How are you going to be king if we don't overthrow the government? Had all expectation that they were overthrowing the government and they were going to reign and Jesus was going to be the king of Israel. Their ideology, how it was supposed to happen. And then they take him away. And then... They try him almost, I think it's like six times he stood before people to try him. Can you imagine? Thomas is in the crowd as they make the decision to have him beat. And they strap him on, on that pole and they take that cat of nine tails and they start at the top of his back, begin to shred his flesh off of his back. Because these whips had nine lashes on them, nine straps, and each one had something, sharp piece of metal tied at the end of them, and it was like a hook, like a meat hook. It would grab into it, and then they would shred it. 39 lashes. Most men died in the middle of the process of giving them the 39 lashes. Jesus survives it. Thomas is in the crowd like, when are you going to rise up? When are you going to do that thing that I know you can do? Then he's doubting everything. Have I, is this, has this been fake the whole time? Has it been like smoke and mirrors? Is he, is he, is he, like, is he got a demon that helps him do these powerful things and, and we've been tricked and he never was the Messiah? We thought, because a Messiah would never let this happen. My king would never bow low like this and let him, not the image of what I think a God is supposed to be. No, sir. So he's got this, he's struggling with it. So is Peter, so is the rest of them. And then finally, when they finished putting the thorn on his head, the thorns and uh, thorn, uh, the crown of thorns on, into his head, and then they, they take him and, 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 they, and they pronounce him, crucify. Pilate washes his hands of it. 
put that crossbeam on him. He starts trying to carry it up the hill of Golgotha. Thomas is probably standing in that crowd. Come on, do it. Come on, do it. Now's the moment. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. He stumbles and falls, and he sees the weakness in this man. Never seen weakness in him before. Never saw him cower or be even scared, but he doesn't look like the same. He looks like a, an animal that's been hit by a car on the side of the road. Blood all in his hair, matted. The beatings that he's been taking is starting to show. His eyes are starting to turn black and blue with the swollen, his lips swole off to the side. This isn't a king. What is this? They get him up to the top of that hill. They lay him down on that cross and they begin to drive those nails in. He cries out in anguish and Thomas and the others are sprinkled throughout the crowd watching. People are yelling, kill him! Thomas and them don't know what to do. They're trying not to be noticed because if they did that to him, what are they going to do to us? This whole time, maybe we had a fake. Maybe we, we missed it. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? For three years, I've been following this dude. I don't, I don't have any money. I, don't have any, I gave up my job. How am I ever going to get married? How, how am I going to buy a house? I, I followed this guy, and this guy was a fake the whole time. I, I don't, and then they put him up on the, drop it down in the hole, struggling to breathe. <gasps> Thief is making fun of him. Jesus is muttering a few things here and there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And somewhere around noon, the earth goes black and dark. Sun is hidden and it's pitch black, like at midnight or something. The ground starts shaking. They're hearing, hearing screams out in the distance as graveyards are cracking open and dead people are coming to life from the graveyards and walking through the streets. Zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's a trip. Somewhere close to three o'clock, Jesus breathes his last breath into, my, into your hands. Thomas has been watching. The guards, to be sure that he's really dead, runs over and stabs him in the side, cuts the big hole in that side. And the Bible talks about how blood and water flows. In other words, his heart has been exploded, and now his blood is mixed with the, with the, with the water fluids inside of his body, and that pours out, and they know he's really dead. All of a sudden, screams are happening, coming from the temple area, because the curtain that kept everyone from going into the innermost parts where God was at, it rent from top to bottom, and people were running out. All <sighs> oh, this is so confusing. He's now dead. And they get permission to take his body down, and they go put it in the tomb and watch it as they roll that stone over that tomb. So he doesn't want to get around Peter and them because he, if they find us all together, they'll be able to get us all and capture us all. So he's probably staying with some cousin Distant cousin who don't have a cell phone or anything, so no one can track him down. I don't, I don't, it's, 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 it's Friday evening, and, 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 I, and it's dark now, and, and he probably just sits there and stares at, at the floor for hours into the night, can't sleep. If I, if I imagine, he probably didn't get any sleep the last 24 hours. And then into Saturday, and, and they're probably trying to avoid any kind of authorities and, and trying to you know, find out, you know, checking you know, all, all the, you know, all the, all the communications to see if they're going after the disciples of this guy, Jesus. And I can't believe we bought, he's talking to his family. I can't believe I, I thought he was the real, I thought, I, I don't know. I, it's, I, obviously he wasn't the Messiah. He's dead. He's dead. I saw it. He's dead. And then on that Sunday morning, you know, doesn't even know what to do. And he starts hearing whispers. Something's happening. Something's happening. See, as the women, Mary, the women went to the tomb that stone had been rolled away. And I thought it, I think it interesting that the first pe persons that Jesus appeared to were the ladies. And I don't understand how church life people think that women are less valuable than men because obviously they were so valuable that Jesus showed up to them first. He didn't go find Peter and the rest of them. Just want to point that out for all you guys with different ideologies. Just saying. He appears to them first. They go running. 
Mary goes running, tells Peter and John. They come running to find him, and it's empty. And, and then Jesus engages with them, and then, and, then, and then is gone. And then these two guys are walking down the road. Two disciples are walking down the road of Emmaus, and a whole other part of the, a whole other part of, of, of geographically far away. And, and he begins to walk with them, start having these experiences. And so by that evening, they all gather, and they're like, dude, we got we to gotta talk. Something's happened. We got to talk. They're texting back and forth, OMG, OMG, you maybe show up at the house. Make sure you take the back streets, hide. Come, don't all come at the same time. We got to talk. They all show up at the house except for Thomas. I don't know if his phone was turned off. I don't know if he got lost. I don't know what happened. The homeboy didn't show up. And so they're all in the room and they're like, are you serious? I'm telling you, I saw him. I saw, I'm telling he talked to me. Dude, we were on this road. Our heart was pounding inside of us as he's talking to this dude. Come to find out it was, he's, nah, bro, I don't know about that. I'm telling you. And all of a sudden with the doors locked, Jesus steps up in and says, what's up, folks? How you doing? How you doing? All right. And they're like, he's not a ghost. Because he says, look, come here, let me hug you. Touch me. One point, he actually eats with them. So can you imagine later that evening after Jesus goes on, they are, tra- they are tracking down Thomas. Thomas finally turns his phone on, shows up at the house, and they're like, bro, you got to sit down. You got to sit down, bro. You're not going to believe this, bro. You're not going to believe. What is it? What do we do now? I don't know. What do we do? I don't know. Thomas is like, what, what, what? He was here. I'm sorry? No, he was here. He was here where? In this house. He was here. Who, Jesus? Yeah, well, maybe his ghost, but Jesus is dead. Nah, bro, he ain't dead. He's resurrected. Remember how he said in three days he would resurrect? I thought he was talking about something else. No, dude, he was talking about him. He was here. I saw it. Thomas is like, let me just tell all of y'all something. Unless I put my fingers in those wounds, stick my hand in his side, ain't no way, because he is dead, D-E-A-D, dead. It ain't, I, don't, I don't believe y'all. I don't know what happened to y'all, but Jesus is dead. He is not alive. I think most of us would have taken that same approach had we experienced what they experienced. And I want to help you point out for just a moment what, why you might have doubt still lingering in you, just the same way that Thomas had doubt in himself. And doubt in that Jesus was real. Here's here's the first reason I believe that Thomas was struggling with doubt. Number one, it's because Jesus raised him from the dead. That's not logical. That's not logical. That makes no sense to me. It's not logical. See, some of you are even struggling with God's ability to heal, God's ability to forgive, because it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. A plus B does not equal C. It doesn't work. I always laugh at all the scientific community who've identified the Bible as nothing but a bunch of fables and myths because they've identified that there is no way scientifically that you can, it's not possible to put a man inside of a fish for three days and him live. It's not scientifically proven. Okay, it's not scientifically, you cannot, a Red Sea did not open, two million people walk across it, when the Egyptians came flying in and then closed them, it's scientifically, we cannot recreate that, it's scientifically impossible to take a bunch of spittle and dirt and put it on a guy's eye and somehow that would heal it, it's scientifically impossible, so therefore the Bible is unprovable, it therefore is a fable, and can I tell you something ladies and gentlemen about scientists? and about their ability, their ability is limited to who they are. Our God lives outside of our ability to grasp him scientifically. If, he, if we could grasp him scientifically and logically, that would make us gods and him not. He's God, as he says, because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I agree with him. Scientifically, you cannot prove it, but you cannot disprove that the King of kings and the Lord of lords can do anything he wants to do because he says in his holy word, with man it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so I'm here today on Easter Sunday to remind you that though you may have doubt in God because there's some things in your life that are not logical, how can he get me to the thing he's promised me when I'm standing? here. I'm so far away from that. I'm so far distant from that A plus B will never equal what I told, that I know that he told me he wanted to do in my life. And so therefore you've given up hope. You've lost courage. You've stopped even believing to engage with God on that level because doubt has crept in and it's all because it makes no sense to your brain. But can I encourage you that God does not live in your logic. He lives outside of your time, your space, your ability. He's God. 
That's why he's God. So either you believe in him or you don't. And what does he tell Thomas in that engagement that I read to you? He said, son, just believe. My logic gets in the way all the time. But faith has to step in and say, you know what? I may not can explain it. I may not can figure out how it's gonna happen, but God can do it. In fact, I wanna introduce you to a little couple in our church. I love this couple. They sit up on our front row. They typically come to first service, Travis and Maria, and they love Jesus with all of their heart. But them even being in our church is a miracle. It makes no sense. They were in the process of losing their marriage. Maria testifies that she was so depressed that she was on medication. She had grown up in dead religion, so church was foolishness, but God. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to take two minutes and let you just hear a portion of their story because I want to help you get set free that just because I don't understand it or just because it's not logical doesn't mean that God can't do it. Play that for him for just a second. got married pretty early and it was rough um, you know we both didn't come from the same background we had different ideas of what marriage is uh, who God is who Christ is in our daily lives it kind of got to the point of you know we were just on the verge of, of divorce in fact I remember one night her and I were kind of arguing and so we kind of just brought up divorce and just left it at that I knew that we were meant to be. I just didn't know how it would pan out with the kind of upbringing that I had where it was very strict and me feeling like I couldn't hear the Lord's voice really made me look for joy, true joy in other areas. I became very, very depressed. I started taking antidepressants at 18 years old. Antidepressants became my source, per se, of joy rather than the Lord. It really caused turmoil within our marriage. At Reset, um, I wanted to make sure that I, was, that I was praying for the power to be off of antidepressants, and the Lord did grant me that power. He gifted it to me. It was a gift. Through His power, I was able to be off of antidepressants after 10 years, um, something that I never thought that I could do. Just getting to know the Father and like that has been so amazing because like he literally has redeemed all of that time that was, I felt like was lost before. And at that point, that was really when, when I personally was like, this is God just kind of restoring um, his presence, not just in, in myself, but in our marriage and this is, this is his resurrection, right? It's something that continues daily, day in and day out. It's not a once in a lifetime thing. It's not a one and done situation. It's not a cherry picking where he's gonna be involved. It's really just, it's a reminder. Like whenever those situations come, it's literally God like knocking at the door saying, hello. I, I, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm here, right? I'm still alive. Right? The, 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 <laughs> right? the grave is empty, right? The tomb is empty. And his resurrection just, it, it's, wrecked our lives like the yeah. every single moment good or bad like God Christ his Holy Spirit is just there yeah. saying I'm here with you guys and I'm not going anywhere yeah give it up for them so to help to understand their story even more is that so they were losing their marriage she is in need of these antidepressants to even go through the day and one of the things that we teach here at Hill City is that you can have the power, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you to where you have power over sin habits. Where you have, And so she came to one of our nights of worship, we called it Reset, and she was hungry because I'd been teaching on that. And she said, Holy Spirit, I want you, I need you. I I, 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 I'm gonna let you have control over this area of doubt and fear and, construct and destructiveness in my life. And in that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came upon her. She's not need to take her medicine anymore. She's not on antidepressants anymore. Come on, their marriage is strong. They're sitting on the front row worshiping their God. I want you to know, it may not be logical to you that God could heal that child, that God could fix that relationship, but I want you to know that with God, all things are possible. If you will just believe, say it with me, just 
believe. Turn to that person next to you and say, just believe. Here's the second reason I think that Thomas had such doubt in this moment. Like, how do you have doubt? You were there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. How do you have doubt, Thomas? How do you have that? When Jesus was about to be attacked, he froze everybody on the side of a mountain. They were going to throw him off a mountain and kill him. He froze them and walked between all of them. They couldn't hurt him. He's just walking through them. How do you have doubt in this moment? I'll tell you why. Number two, because he had unmet expectations. And this has been one of the pieces that has driven most of the doubt in my life. See, he expected Jesus to be a military overthrow leader. He was expecting Jesus and what he thought was going to happen and how he expected Jesus to do it, it didn't happen that way. And when it didn't go down that way, doubt overtook him because I thought, God, you were going to, I thought you were going to set it all up and make my time of three years running around with you. I mean, we were looking forward to not sleeping on the floor anymore and now sleeping in a palace. We were looking forward to put it back to the Romans like they put it to us. And you didn't come that way and you didn't do that thing. I expected you to reign and to rule. But what he didn't understand, see, see, Jesus didn't want to conquer the Romans and their injustice towards the Jews. Jesus wanted to conquer sin, death, and the grave, and its injustice towards humanity. Jesus wasn't trying to be king over one little faction of life. He wanted the whole world and all of eternity to be set free from all the wickedness of the powers of Satan. And in that moment, he didn't get it. Thomas didn't get it. The other disciples didn't get it. And so when it didn't go down the way they thought they were like look I'm out peace deuce I'm out I, I don't believe in this anymore because it was so tragic when it came against their ideology they had an unmet expectation I know what that's like see I signed up I quit college because God asked me to be a minister I didn't want to be a minister ministers are broke they're poor unless they live in Dallas I don't know what these guys are doing wow and have airplanes and stuff wow that's not where I came from I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be successful in business. I wanted to be a good tither because I had so much money. And God said, no, I need you to go, and I need you to love my people. So I laid it all down, and I thought ministry would be awesome. I had an expectation that everybody would love Jesus, people would get saved, and they'd be nice to each other. And I'm two years into this, and like, you hate her, and she hates you, and you sit over there and won't talk to this one, but the Bible tells you to do that. You refuse to do that. Now you're talking bad about me. And then not only that, but all the other pastors being mean to me. My senior pastor doesn't like me. Everybody seems to, and I was like, I remember sitting there one time going, forget this. This ain't worth it. I'll make more money working at Walmart with less hassle. Like, why am I doing this? See, because my expectation was off. I thought that if I said yes to Jesus, that everything would be easy and wonderful that I would live just a wonderful life with no problems. And I would pray for everyone. They would get healed, and they would say, Pastor Adam's the man. <sighs> and then I'm getting emails. You suck. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Unmet expectations. Or when Jamie and I started having kids, and our first son, tragic, difficult birth and delivery. And then from there, as we would get pregnant, Jamie would start losing those babies in the womb. I'll never forget on that last one that died, and I took his little body in a Ziploc bag and I brought it up to the hospital for them to run tests. Came home, put Jamie in bed. I stood out in my backyard, midnight. I said, this is it, I'm done. This is not what I signed up for. You said you would bless me. I don't feel blessed right now. You said that blessed are those who've given up houses and homes for your namesake. Would they not only receive a reward in the life to come, but also in this life? I don't see no rewards. All I asked you to do was heal my babies. Your word says that if I ask, I shall receive. If I seek you, I'll find you. And I've been asking you. And my babies are dying. So screw it. I'm out. Hot tears in my backyard. Middle of the night. I'm yelling. We got about two acres, and so no one can really hear me. I'm yelling. I'm out. I'm out. I quit the ministry. 
I'm watching all these other idiots who, who, moment they got 21, they went out and got plastered. I stayed pure. I didn't go out and get drunk. I said, okay, I'll go in the ministry. I'm watching all them live their best life. Now I'm living a screw for This life sucks so bad. I don't even want to be in it, and I'm doing all I can to help people, and you won't, even, you won't even answer my prayers. I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. I quit. I quit the ministry. I'm going to stay a Christian because I believe there's a hell, and I don't want to go there, so I'm going to stay a Christian. <laughs> well, I ain't ministering to nobody. I'm going to work at some kind of some other. I'm going to start my own business. I'm out of the ministry, and I'm going to keep tithing because I do understand if I tithe that you'll bless me and I won't be broke, so I'll do that. But I'm, I'm going to sit on the back row like everybody else. I'm like, how are you doing? All right, how are you doing? I'm going to go play golf on some Sundays. I'm going to come once a month. I'm going I'm, I'm to be a CEO. I'm going to come at Christmas and Easter. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do on occasion. That's what I'm going to do. I'm done. And God is so gracious and so clear. Just like Thomas, he showed up in the room. He showed up out in my backyard, and he whispered to me. Whispered me one name. One of my closest friends, Phil Long. I just fell on my knees. I just started weeping. I said, okay, you got me. You got me. See, what you don't understand is that Phil Long went to Bible school with me. And he graduated and he married a gal that was in Bible school with us. He actually was a year ahead of me. And they sold it all and they went to Africa as missionaries. While they were in Africa, they got pregnant with their first child, named him Will. Will Long, Phil Long. Somewhere when he was two or three years old, always get his age off a little bit. He started having complications, and they couldn't figure it out. All the African hospitals couldn't, couldn't diagnose it, so they took video footage. They sent it back to the States, and the doctors reviewed it and said, get him home right now. And they got him home. They began to run tests, and they determined that he had a degenerative disease. And what was happening was his brain would sing, send signals to the rest of his body, but it would get lost somewhere along the nerve ways. And say, so move your hand, and it, it, it would just get lost, and he wouldn't move his hand. And it was degenerative. It was happening in real time. And so they came home from the field. They just didn't know what else to do. So we moved them into a little house by the church. The church did, took care of them. And I watched as this, this little boy died, a slow, agonizing. It started with his kidneys. First, his kidneys stopped working. And then his little legs stopped working. Then his little eyes stopped working. I'll never forget, I was standing in third service next to Phil. I'd been doing the junior high service before and finished up, and Phil and his wife were there. And he's in, we're in the middle of worship, and he's holding this kid who's probably three, four years old by now. He's a pretty big kid. He's holding him in his arms like this, worshiping. And he bumps me with the kid. He kind of runs him into me. And I look at him. He goes, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. How can you say that? Your kid's dying. Will died, and we buried him at the little church graveyard. Phil and Shari got back on an airplane. They'd been gone for a couple years, so their ministry basically was non-existent in Africa. Started back up. Within a matter of months of being back, they got pregnant again. Found out it was going to be a little girl. They're going to name her Grace, because he gives me grace in the midst of my pain. Beautiful. Gave birth to that little girl. She was precious. No idea why, but seven days later, she died. And Phil's out in the wilderness of Africa, cutting down trees to make casket to put his baby girl in the ground, a land that he's not from. He's trying to help the people of Africa. And here I am standing out in the backyard, wanting to quit on God because of my unmet expectations. Listen, I don't know why certain things don't happen certain ways, but I know he'll never leave you or forsake you. And I know some of you have been gripped with doubt over the last couple years. You've watched way too many YouTube videos. You've had way too much conversations about what hadn't gone right in life. And so doubt has creeped in because you had some un unmet expectations. You thought God would heal your kid and he didn't. You thought that you'd get that promotion by now and it didn't happen. And you and I now are like doubting Thomas. The miracles are happening right around us, but we're so gripped with our unmet expectations that we can't see it or believe it. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't immediately go and fix Thomas. He, he extends it out for a week. He lets him wallow in his unbelief for a week after the guys have said, we've seen him. He was here in the house. He said, I'm not going to believe. For a week, he lets it linger out. Jesus doesn't do anything for him for a week. Doesn't come, rescue him, nothing. Let him hang out. Why? Because sometimes you need to process through your doubt and unbelief. 
Sometimes there's these long seasons where you've gotten so mad at God that you're hanging out over here and you don't know why things haven't happened and he doesn't chase you down. He lets you wallow in a little bit. Why? So that you get desperate enough so that when he does show up, you recognize him for who he really is because you become so desperate being away from him. That's where some of you are at today. And this brings me to the third reason I think that he had doubt and that is because he hadn't had an encounter with Jesus. See, the other guys had had an encounter with the Lord, but he lacked this encounter. He, see, some of you know church, some of you know religion, but you've never had an encounter with Jesus. An encounter. I am who I am. I'm passionate the way I'm passionate. Jesus is real to me. Christianity is real to me. Not because my mom and daddy said, not because I went to church and some little preacher talked me into it. I've had an encounter with the living God. I know where I was at. When I had the first encounter, I was on my face crying out about my sin, and he came over me. I felt the glory of God rest upon I heard him in my ear say, I love you, and I've forgiven you. It wasn't a dead religious thing. It wasn't some little hype thing. It wasn't some weird ghostly thing. God God himself spoke into my heart, spoke to me his love, and I'll never be the same. And I encounter him on a weekly, daily basis because I know how to get in his presence and I know how to know him. And see, some of you, you've gone to church, you've had these little experiences here and there, but you've never encountered the Lord. When Thomas is standing around other men who've encountered the Lord, his only response is, I won't believe it unless it happens to me. I won't believe it until it happens to me. If I'd have been Jesus, I'd have been like, whatever. Jesus doesn't do that. It gives him a week. But Thomas does something smart that most people won't do. That is, Thomas keeps hanging out with the people who have had an encounter with the Lord. Say, I don't think you, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You sure don't. But when you're hanging out with people who've had encounters with the Lord, you're setting yourself up for an opportunity. So I don't really know if I believe all that. Keep coming. I've never had it. Keep coming. Keep being around other folks who've had some experiences with the Lord, I promise you. As he's there with them, the passage that we read, and it says, and as they were in the room with the door locked, this is a week after the resurrection, a week after today, Seven days from now, on a Sunday, they're back in that room. They've got the doors locked because at this point, they're scared that every one of these Jewish leaders are going to try to kill them. Because now that Jesus is alive, if that gets out and everyone believes it, then they were right. So we've got to kill everyone who says that they saw Jesus. Come on, are you tracking with me? Because if their testimony is believed by all the people, we will lose our dead religion and our control over the people and we'll lose our position with the Romans. So now they're looking to kill off all the disciples so they know about it. They're in the room. The doors are locked. They're trying to figure out what to do. Thomas is with them this time. And Jesus walks in the room again. He says, how y'all doing, fellas? Thomas, come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. You stupid. No, that ain't what he does. Aren't you glad that's not how he treats us? I mean, that's what you and I would have done. What? Raise people from the dead. You ain't going to believe none of them fed you for three years, you old knothead. Talk bad about me. Lost your mind. That sounds like somebody's grandma right there. Pulls him in. He says, look, buddy, put your fingers there. Put your fingers there. Can you imagine that, Mom? He walks in. Walks to the wall. And he's not, wom, wom, wom. He's, he's there physically. So he touches. He says, Put you, that big gash is still there. Trip house not believed now, right? Put your hand in that. And then he makes a declaration. There's only 10 of them in the, all of the scripture. He makes a declaration that most scholars say is one of the most unbelievable declarations in all of Scripture. He yells out, my God and my Lord. See, here's the problem. He's got to be your God and your not Lord, not your mama's God, not your, not your daddy's God. 
This is, there are no grandkids in heaven. There are only children of the most high God who surrender themselves. And so you thinking that you can get in because your mama prayed, that you can be a part of his life because so-and-so and so knows him or Pastor Adam knows him. Friend, he had a revelation as he had an encounter. Wait a minute. I have been crazy to think like this. You are the living God. And not only that, but you're my Lord. I accept you now as my Lord. And if you say go left, I go left. You say go right, you, I go right. You say that you can split water in half and march two million people, I believe it. If you say you can raise from the dead, I believe it. This is what Easter Sunday is all about. It's remembering that there is nothing that can hold him back. That he has all authority and all power and all principalities and powers have been placed under his feet. He is not limited by time, by space, by gravity, by money, by circumstances. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Thomas looks at him and goes, my God and my Lord. Can you imagine the other guys standing around, the other 10 guys are like, woo, he got it. He got it. Ooh, we've been waiting for you to get it. See, when you got it, you got it. And when you don't, it's hard to explain it to others. Isn't it harder to explain to others? I just don't know. You just got to know Jesus. And they're like, what does that mean? Like, what do I do? You got to have an encounter with the Lord. Uh, years ago, we were first starting this church. I was reaching out to a particular guy in the community, and he's, he's a pretty cool dude. He's a really cool dude. And uh, so I started hanging out with him, befriending him. And uh, he had been in ministry, and, um, but he had cheated on his wife while being a minister and um, lost his marriage, lost the ministry, everything. And years had passed, and he had never been back to church, never engaged with the Lord. Uh, but he remarried, and he had a precious little family, you know, a little new, you know, young child, newborn. And so I, I'm just hanging out with him, and I want, to, I want him to be around us and so we start off a little softball team, you know, for Hill City. And, you know, we were a small church at the time. So we're playing in the so local softball league and stuff. And he's a really good softball player. So I was like, dude, won't you come play softball with us? Which was mistake number one. Because he ain't serving God and he's on the church softball team. So he's cussing everybody. <laughs> he's creating. And everybody's like, I thought y'all were a church. And I'm like, well, we are, but, well, like, he's going to be, sorry. You know, what else do you do with it? You know, like. Trying to love this dude and keep him around us, but he is effing everybody in the parking lot. He's getting like, you know, they, and, they, and I'm like, golly, man, everybody wants to fight our church softball team, you know, because it is one dude. And so, um, and so he gets in a situation, he calls me, he goes, I need to meet with you. I've been praying for this. I've been praying that he has the moment. And he says, he sits down with me, he says, you know, I know everything about church. I went to Bible school, da, 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 da. He goes, but my wife just told me that if I don't stop drinking, she's going to leave me. And I guess he had these alcoholic flares. I guess he was a mean drunk. I don't know what was going on. And, uh, and he goes, so I'm listening to him, listening to him. And he goes, and I know what you're going to tell me I need to do. So I'm like, there you go. He said, you're going to tell me I need to come to church. So that is the last thing I would tell you to do. He said, what do you mean? I said, you've been in church. You know church, but you don't know God. I said, you've been around the church. You, you know, you got to figure it out. Three slow songs, three fast songs, do a little offering, preach a little message, and go home. You got it all. You think you know everything, but you don't know the God of the church. You've never encountered him. You've encountered religion. You, you, you perform for the God of the church. You use your little gift to play music and and, and, and preach a little bit of something out of some book to make people like you, use your little gift, but you've never known the God of the Bible. No, my encouragement would be you fall on your face. You cry out to the living God to have mercy on your soul. And you ask him to come and encounter you. That was what I was going to tell you to do. You know what that guy did? He left and never came back. Never called me again. You know why? Because he would rather dead religion than a real encounter with the living God. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? Go sell everything and come follow me. The Bible says he went away sad because he had much wealth. See, when you have a true encounter with the living God, money doesn't matter. You make money, take care of your family. God blesses it. He works. 
But when you've had a true encounter with the Lord, you don't care what anybody thinks. You walk into a room, you don't need to impress anybody. You don't need anybody to validate you because you know that you know that you know that at the end of it all, I'll be safely in his arms for eternity. You know that you know that his spirit lives and abides in you. And so it doesn't matter if that one likes you. This one, you post differently when you've had an encounter with the Lord. You, you live different. You treat other people differently when you've had an encounter with the Lord. You don't have to walk in the room and use some old secular ideology on how to be the how to be the uh, the, the alpha dog in the room. You can be a servant. Why? Because you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as your Lord and Savior and his spirit is abiding in you because you've had an encounter. And I tell you, there's a lot of Christians that have never had an encounter. The moment that Thomas has an encounter, he yells out, my God and my Lord, oh, I'll give you every part of who I am. And let me tell you what this man goes on to do. He immediately in this process, ends up in one of the most vile cities in the world at the time, Babylon, and he plants the first church in Babylon. From there, he moves on over into missions work, and he heads over to all he heads over to um, India. He he plants churches in India, Persia, China, and while in India, on one of his last church planting trips, some village got angry at him and martyred him, stuck him through with a spear, and his body was put in the ground in that village in India. How do you get to a place where you leave everything and you go preach the gospel in places that don't want you? Because he had an encounter with the living God. We can have encounters with the living God because he's not dead. That's what we celebrate today. You may know church, you may know religion, but do you know the God who heals marriages? Have you had an encounter with the one who causes you to think differently and live differently. Do you know why this little couple's always up on the front row worshiping Jesus? Because they've had an encounter with the living God. The doubt leaves when you've had an encounter. I want you to stand with me all across the room today and I wanna close. Hey everybody, wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.